For Fatima and for all of the martyred saints and for us today, there is hope because there is the resurrection. Amen? And that's exactly what we're studying tonight and I've been studying in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you would open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Truly the best is yet to come. And that is exactly what we're going to be looking at tonight. That because of the resurrection, the best is yet to come. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to begin in verse 35. If you are there, say I'm there. All right. That was three of you. We'll wait for the rest of you. All right. Verse 35, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's begin reading. Paul is writing to the church of Corinth and he says this in verse 35. He says, but someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. Verse 39. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, heavenly and earthly bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not the first, but the natural. And afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Let's pray together. God, as we open up your scriptures and we look at the resurrection, Lord, we recognize that there is hope beyond the grave, Father. And we praise you for it. Lord, and as we tackle these, these scriptures, and God, I pray that you would make it alive to what you desire to speak to us tonight. Lord, I pray that you would increase our faith in believing, Lord, that truly the best is yet to come in glory, Father. I pray, Lord, that you would give us patience here on earth as we continue to battle the wretched man of death, the, the sinful man that lives within us. God, I pray that you would give us victory here on earth and give us that longing, Lord, for what is to come. 
God, we thank you that you are alive today. And we thank you that we too will raise, Lord, to resurrection life with you soon, God. For you are coming soon. You are coming quickly. Lord Jesus, we give you this time. In Jesus' name, your people said, amen. It has been said that a man can live 40 days without food, three days without water, eight minutes without air, and only one second without hope. Hope. And hope for the Christian, hope is only as good as the object that it is attached to. Okay? So if we, if our hope is in politics, then it is only as good as politics or politicians. If our hope is attached to presidents, then it's only as good as the president. If our hope is attached to fame and fortune, then it is therefore contingent upon what our money's doing and the stock market's doing and all of that. But we as the church, we as Christians, we have a real, true, living hope. Our hope is attached not to politics and presidents, fame and fortune, but our hope is attached to the reality of the resurrection. That Jesus Christ is alive today and that he is coming again. Without the resurrection, there really is no hope for us. And that is exactly what Paul the Apostle is tackling here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The church of Corinth, they were denying the resurrection of the dead. They were denying that the resurrection was a real thing. They did not believe that God was going to raise us up once we die and those who have died before us. There were many in the church of Corinth that did not believe that God would raise them up from the dead and that they would experience all of eternity with him. They were denying this very truth. And so Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 to give them evidence that Jesus has truly risen again. Last week, or two weeks ago, last week was incredible. The Thanksgiving Eve service, that was like amazing. That was my first one I've been a part of here. Incredible blessing. A week before though, we were tackling here in 1 Corinthians 15, and, and Pastor Rob went over those evidences of the resurrection. There were eyewitnesses, the personal testimony. There's different archaeological evidences that Jesus Christ was risen from the grave. And so Paul lines out those evidences of the resurrection, and then he tells us how how significant Christ's resurrection is for you and us and what that means. And Pastor Rob talked about that last week as well. And then Paul argues there in verse 20 that Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who has fallen asleep. And he goes on to say in verse 21, for by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. And so Paul is making this argument of the importance of the significance that Jesus is alive and what that means for us. And so as he's continuing here, he's making the point that if you are denying the resurrection, then you are saying that what we have here on earth is the best there is. How depressing is that? For those that do not believe in life after death, that do not believe in the resurrection from the dead, they think this is all it is. Man, that is a bummer. 
And so what is Paul doing? He is giving us the reality of the resurrection and telling us by believing in the resurrection, truly we are believing that the best is yet to come. Amen? I mean, this is good news. And so as we continue here in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is proving that the best is yet to come by answering or responding to two unanswered questions regarding the resurrection. So here he's laying out in verse 35 two unanswered questions regarding the resurrection. Reading in verse 35, the number one, question one, how were the dead raised up? And number two, with what body do they come? Two questions that he's tackling. Two questions that he is responding to. How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? And as Paul begins to answer these questions, we will see three characteristics of our resurrected body that will truly prove that the best is yet to come. We will see, number one, that the best is yet to come because we will have a different body. Number two, the best is yet to come because it is a spiritual body. And number three, the best is yet to come because it is a heavenly body. This is what Paul is outlining here with us tonight. So, beginning there in verse 36, a different body. Speaking of the resurrection, the glorified body. Paul is responding to these two questions. Let's read verse 36 again. He says, foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. Here, Paul is answering... That question number one, how are the dead raised up? And he likens it, he compares it to a seed, the body to a seed. That the body, when it is buried, it dies in the ground. And just as a seed must die in the ground, it will bring forth life. But a seed does not produce a seed. What does a seed produce? A plant or a tree. There's a difference in its form. And in the same way, Paul is telling us that the resurrected body, it will be a different body. That our body now, we must die in order to experience the resurrected body. We just sang it in that last song. Death is the doorway to resurrection life. It reminds me of an old story fairy tale. How many of you remember the story of Jack and the Beanstalk? Jack and the Beanstalk, the synopsis, the summary is that Jack, he's this poor old country farmer boy, and he trades his cow, his family cow, for a handful of magic beans. And these magic beans, they grow into an enormous beanstalk, reaching up into the clouds. And Jack climbs the beanstalk, and what does he find himself at? A castle with an unfriendly giant, right? So those beans, when he put them in the ground, did they produce more magical beans? No, they produced a beanstalk. And up that beanstalk he went. Well, in a similar way, our bodies, our temples here, these tents, so to speak, when we bury them, they will not have, it will become a different body. 
And that resurrected body will, will reach us up into the heavenlies, into the clouds, not to where there's an unfriendly giant, but to the palace of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Death is the doorway to resurrection life. And so this different body, it is different in form. Which comes to mind, the, the whole question of how is the dead raised to life? Well, he makes it very clear in answering this. He says foolish ones, and that language is pretty strong there in the Greek. But he answers that first question in verse 38. He said, God gives it a body as he pleases. He's like, come on guys. The resurrection, how is the dead raised up? It is raised up by the very power of God. It is the power of God who raises the dead to life. And as he raises us to life, that is how we are given access into the heavenlies, into the throne room of God himself. Which gives us this idea that this resurrected body, it's a different body. And it's resurrection, not reconstruction. The resurrected body is resurrection, not reconstruction. What do I mean by that? Well, some would think, you know, there's, there's some ideas of afterlife and what happens to the person that, you know, is cremated? Or what happens to the person that's eaten by a shark? What happens to the person that disintegrates in fire? What happens to their body? How are they going to, what, what's their body going to look like after life? Well, the body, as it's saying here, it's going to be a different body. It's going to be a different form. All God needs is that little atom, that little DNA. He will use that little seed. But as that seed is planted, as it dies, it's going to be a completely different body. And is this good news or what? The best is yet to come because our bodies are going to be different. They're going to be different in form. They're also going to be different in appearance. They're going to be different in appearance. Think for a second of the resurrected body of Christ himself. Remember Mary and the girls as they run to the tomb and what do they find Jesus? They find first the angels and then they come across who? They thought it was a gardener. They didn't fully recognize Jesus in his resurrected state. They thought he was a gardener. And then Jesus appears to those disciples on the road to Emmaus. And they, they couldn't fully understand that this is the resurrected king walking among them. And then Jesus goes in to, to the room with the other disciples. And at first they're shocked. They're fearful. They're trembling because they thought they'd seen a spirit. So the point is, is that this body, it's going to be different in form. Just that seed is different than the plants. It's also going to be different in appearance. Now, what's interesting is there's still a similarity though. There's a similarity because what does Jesus do to Thomas? Doubting Thomas, he shows him his wounds. He shows him. So there's a similarity, yet there's a difference. And there's a mystery there that we will not fully understand on this side of heaven. But the news is that the best is yet to come because we will have a different body that will be different in form. It will be different in appearance. It will also be different in glory. Notice here these verses from verse 39 through 41. It's really interesting. Paul goes on to say, All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, and another fish, and of another birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one, the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. So we're going to have a different body. This different body is going to be different in form. 
It's going to be different in appearance, but it's also going to be different in glory. Now, this is interesting because here, Paul, what he's telling us is he's comparing. There's all these different types of earthly bodies. That's what the word terrestrial means. And there's these different types of celestial bodies or heavenly bodies. So when you have the seraphim, there's teraphim, there's angels, and there's resurrected saints. And just as there's animals and there's fish and there's man and there's birds here on earth, there's going to be different types of bodies in heaven. And so our resurrected body is going to be a different type of body and it's going to differ in glory. So there's going to be these different types of bodies in the heavenlies, in heaven, but also there's going to be a difference in glory. And what that means is there in the end of verse 41, he says, there's differs in glory from one star to another star. And the idea is there is one star emits more light. It's more intense. You can see it easily on a starry night than other stars, right? I mean, we've all seen this. Some stars are brighter than others. And there's an idea here that in the resurrected body, it's going to be a different body completely, but there may be a difference in glory from one person to another person. Now, don't get me wrong. We're not going to be disappointed when we get to heaven. I love the the saying that every one of our cups will be full but there may just be different sizes of cups. And that's the idea here that Paul is giving. There's a difference in glory. So all of our cups are going to be full. We're not going to be jealous. We're not going to be envious of the others, which we'll get there to get to that in a second. But there may just be a difference in glory. So how is there going to be a difference in glory? Well, in order to increase in glory on that side of eternity... We need to increase in humility on this side of eternity. And as we grow in humility, as John the Baptist says, as I decrease, he will increase. And so this difference in glory will be depending on on what we are allowing God to do in our lives. And the beautiful thing is this, is that because of the cross of Christ, glory is made possible not by our own efforts and our own works. But this difference from glory, it does have an idea of these rewards and these riches. And I almost imagine like this, this difference of glory. How many of you guys remember Moses in his shining face on Mount Sinai? Moses' face is shining on Mount Sinai and he's shining the very glory of the Lord. Why? Because he was near to the presence of God. And so there's an idea there maybe is the disciples are arguing with Jesus of who would sit at his right hand. And this idea of being the proximity of how close we will be to Jesus in eternity. Well, as the closer we get to Christ on that side of eternity, the closer we get to sit, so to speak, we will shine brighter because we'll be closer to the source. But what determines how close we sit, again, is the humility here on earth. If we're the servant of all. And so that is what we are running after here on earth. And that is what will determine the glory that we will experience in heaven. But don't forget, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come because we will have a different body. And this body will be different in form. It will be different in appearance and it will be different in glory. Not only will it be a different body, but being a different body, it will be number two, a spiritual body. And here Paul is answering now that second question. How are the dead raised up? It's Christ who raises them up. And what body do they come? 
They come in a different body and they come in a spiritual body. Read with me again verses 42 to 45. Paul says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Here Paul is making the distinction, a contrast between two different bodies. The natural body and the spiritual body. Now the natural body... And the Greek, it is a word, and it's, it's hard to pronounce, it's sukukos, something like that. Suki, su, su, oh man, I had it before I came up here. Sukikos, that it is, sukikos. The sukikos, this is the natural body. The sukikos, and it has this idea that the natural body is subject to its passions and its appetites. It's the animal that lives inside of us. It's the dead man or the old man that Paul refers to in Romans chapter 6 and 7. It is the natural man. It's the fleshly tendencies. This is the natural man. The sukikos. It is subject to temptations. It is subject to sin. It is subject to passions. It is subject to desires. And this natural body, it is sown in corruption and dishonor and weakness. This is what the natural body is. It's sown in corruption. It's falling apart. Did you know that every single second, two million of our cells in our body die? Every single second, two million cells in our body die. Now, if we're a healthy person, at the same time, two million cells are recreated or are created, produced in our body. So as they're dying, there's more being produced. But overall, we know what happens. We begin to what? Fall apart. Our body, it's corrupted, right? I'm young. And even just the other day, I was surfing. I've been growing up surfing my entire life. And it was like three feet. And I've surfed some big waves. It's like tiny. And I do this maneuver I've done a million times. And my knee pops. And I have to get the lifeguard to take me up to my car. I did, my wife made me go to urgent care because I was complaining too much. I had to ice it, embrace it, this whole thing. Our bodies are, are falling apart. They're sown in corruption. And they're also sown in dishonor or shame. Shame. Remember the definition I gave of shame a few months ago in August? Shame is feeling bad for who you are. And our bodies, they're not good to us. We feel bad for who we are sometimes. We look in the mirror. We don't like the person looking back at us. We feel bad for who we are because the sin tendency that lives inside of us. Because the temptations that we give into. We're sown in dishonor, shame. And sown in weakness. Our lives are full of trouble. We get weary. We get tired. This is the natural body. But the good news is that there is resurrection. That there is this spiritual body. And this word for spiritual body, it's in the Greek. It's pneumatikos or pneumatikos. And it's the spiritual body, that pneuma, that same word given for the Holy Spirit, who's given to us as an inheritance, as a guarantee of what? Our glory, that the best is yet to come. Our glorified, our resurrected body will be a full spiritual body that will be raised up in incorruption. 
That means that it will be free from limitations, from defects, from disease. It will be raised in honor or glory. We're not going to be ashamed of who we are as we enter into heaven. We're not going to look in the mirror in heaven and be bummed out and depressed of who's looking back at us and the mess we've made of our lives. No, we will be raised in glory. We'll be raised in honor and we will be raised in power. This is the spiritual body. Now I want you to consider for a moment Christmas time, the incarnation. What is so incredible about the incarnation is that God was willing to take on the natural man. He experienced the incorruption. He experienced the body that was being torn open upon the cross. That bled and suffered and died for us. He knows what that body is like. He knows our natural body, the body of shame. As he was hanging there naked upon the cross. As his family was ridiculed because his mother was a virgin. The virgin born, this family, they they were illegitimate in the eyes of the community. He knows what that body of shame is like. He took on the body of weakness. He was a man full of grief and sorrow. He traded. He took on our natural body so we could experience his spiritual body. This is the good news of the gospel. But I want you to understand something else with the spiritual body. This blows my mind. To help illustrate this, I want to tell you a story of back when I was lifeguarding again. Back when I was lifeguarding up at Halama Beach, up in the central coast where I'm from, there would always be these migration of whales. And it was beautiful. Every single May, these whales would come from the breeding grounds of Mexico and they would swim on up to the colder waters up in North America, Alaska. And as they would be going by, I mean, you'd just see all all these whales would go right past my lifeguard tower. And in May, no one's on the beach. Like no one on the central coast wants to go to the beach in May because it's cloudy, it's cold, the water's cold. And so you just get this front row seat of all these whales going by. And so one day there's no one on the beach, the whales are going by. So I get the rescue board and I go out there. And these things are only like 20, 30 yards from the shore. And let me tell you, as I was out there with those whales, it was one of like the most awe and like fearful moments of my life. You're just looking by these creatures and they're massive. And it's this idea, it's like, what if one of these things just decides to breach and falls on me? Did any of you guys see that video of that whale that almost ate the kayaker in Avila Beach? That is crazy. I mean, Avila Beach, this is like not that far from where I'm from. These people are just kayaking in the bay there. You can go look this up online. Don't do it right now. But this whale breaches and its mouth, it was like Jonah and the whale status, okay? This kayaker goes in the mouth of the whale and then it like pops out. There's like two different GoPro footages of it. Crazy. But imagine there as I'm out there in the ocean, all these whales, I'm by myself. If one of them fell on me, I would not be able to handle the weight of that whale, right? I would be crushed. And this is the idea of the story of glory throughout the Bible. So stick with me here for a second. The story of glory. Think back to the book of Genesis, the creation account. Mankind was created to experience the presence and the fullness of the glory of God. We were crowned in his glory, but what happened? Sin entered into the picture. And when sin entered into the picture, things changed. 
And God had to expel Adam and Eve out of the garden because now they would not be able to handle the weight of his glory. Just as I, when I'm in the ocean, would not be able to handle the weight of the whale, they and us, humanity, would no longer be able to experience the weight of God's glory. It would crush them. So he expels them out of the Garden of Eden. This is why when years later, Mount Sinai, you got Moses, and Moses is up there with the presence and the glory of God. And Moses wanted to see God's face, but he says, you cannot behold my face. Moses has to hide behind a cleft of a rock and the glory of God would have to simply pass by him because he could not handle the weight of God's glory. Are you guys following? This is the story of glory. And then what happens? The tabernacle is built. And what the tabernacle is, it's really a defense mechanism For the glory of God to be among his people. It would be in within the tabernacle so that the people would not be crushed by its glory. So you would have to do these different sacrifices. You have to go through this cleansing process in order then to go into the temple area. But still Moses would not be able to be fully immersed in the glory, the Shekinah glory of God. Because he'd be crushed under the weight of God's glory. Because the natural man cannot handle it. So then Jesus comes along. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. The Word was with God, and then the Word dwelt among us. And somehow something incredible happens to where God in this miracle is able to hold in his glory with human skin wrapped around him. He is now the living temple. And there is, as Peter, James, and John go up the Mount of Transfiguration, the glory of God is popping out of the very seams of Jesus, and they're able to get this glimpse of his glory, but not fully, because the natural man cannot experience the fullness of God's glory. This is the story of glory. But man, the best is yet to come, because we will have a spiritual body. And what this spiritual body will be able to do, it will be raised in power and we will be able to experience the fullness of God's glory. We will be able to be within the full presence of God. This is what is awaiting us. This is the best is yet to come. We will have a different body. We will have a spiritual body. And we will have, number three, a heavenly body. What will this body look like is the question. He says it will be a heavenly body. Now notice there, there in verses 45, he says, So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So with the natural man, you're represented by Adam. Adam would be crushed by the weight of God's glory. But now we're represented by Christ. He's given us a life-giving spirit. This is our spiritual body. Now we can experience the fullness of God's presence. This is now our new representative because we are in Christ. And it goes on to say this body is meant for the heavens. He says, verse 36, However, the spiritual is not the first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. That idea there is John chapter 3. You must be born. Born again. The natural man, we were born 
naturally, the natural comes first, but then the natural, like that seed, has to be buried so that death would be the doorway to resurrection life and be raised to the spiritual life and we'd experience this heavenly body. So beginning, or continuing there's verse 47. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven, as was the man of dust. So also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. It's telling us there that this heavenly body, this spiritual body, this different body, it will be custom designed for you for eternity. And it will be able to take on the full presence of God. We will bear his image in its entirety. This is what is awaiting us. Notice real quick, there's a cool little geeky Bible thing. There in verse 45, it says the first Adam and the last Adam. Talking about two different representatives. But check with me now in verse 47. It says the first man and the second man. So not the last man, but the second man. Why? Because the first Adam and the last Adam, there's only two representatives. But the first man of dust, Adam, the second man, Christ, spiritual body, and all the men and women that would come after, you and I, the heavenly bodies. We will be raised to a heavenly body. This is what we are waiting for. And in closing, this is just incredible. Romans chapter 8, speaking of this heavenly body, we will no longer struggle with sin. We will no longer be warring against the flesh and the spirit. We will be bearing the fullness of God's image. And in Romans chapter 8, Paul says this. He says, Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. This glorified body, this heavenly body for you is guaranteed. There in Romans chapter 8 verse 30, it's the past tense. Those who have been glorified. In the eyes of the Lord, we have already been glorified because we have been justified. You see, what we are waiting for, the best is yet to come, is for God's redemption to be completed. And that's a fancy word for this. Our salvation, stick with me here for a moment. Our salvation is in three parts. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. Justification is we are accepted by Christ because of his forgiveness, because of the cross of Christ. We are wiped clean. We are made righteous, declared righteous, just as if I've never sinned. Hallelujah. Amen. This is good news. Justification. We've been forgiven. And then as we are forgiven, we go through this life of sanctification. We are still battling this body of death. Romans chapter 7, Paul says, this wretched man that I am. We're still struggling with it. We're still fighting it. There's still this war that's raging. At the cross, the battle was won, but the war is still waging here on earth. As we're fighting and warring the flesh against the spirit. But the best is yet to come because redemption will be complete in glorification in this heavenly body where now the war is over. And the good news is, 
is that God already views us that way. It's already been guaranteed. It's past tense. It is already completed because it was finished at the cross. And because Christ has resurrected, we too will rise in resurrection bodies and spend eternity with him. Amen? This is good news. We can invite the band to come back up. We're going to continue here in a song. But man, be encouraged, church. Be encouraged, church. The best is yet to come. Life is not easy right now. The natural body is difficult. We are still warring. Our world is warring. But Christ is coming. We have been given the guarantee of our inheritance. The Holy Spirit. And we have a living hope. Jesus Christ. This is the hope that can get us up in the morning. That keeps us going here in this world because the reality is this life is like this much compared to all of glory that awaits us. The best is yet to come. Let's pray. God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, God, that you already see us glorified. We thank you because of your grace, Lord. We have been set free and we will experience that freedom in the fullest with you. God, I pray that while we are here on earth, I pray, Lord, that we would grow in humility, that we strive to be the servant of all. And Lord, that you would transform us from glory to greater glory while we are here on earth, that you would transform us into your very image so that we can bear your image in the fullest and eternity, man. We wait for that, Lord, but help us now here on earth. Lord, help us to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit. Help us to rely on your grace. God, we thank you, Lord, for your unfailing love. We thank you, Lord, that you gave your life, that you took on the natural man so that we could be raised to life, to a spiritual life, a glorious life with you. God, we praise you now for that. In Jesus' name, your people said, amen.